0: Hey there, product lovers. Welcome to the Product Love Podcast, hosted by Eric Bodick, co-founder and chief evangelist of Pendo and super fan of all
1: things product.
0: Product Love is the place for real insights into the world of crafting products as Eric interviews founders, product leaders, venture capitalists, authors, and more. So let's dive in now with today's Product Love Podcast. So welcome over to Product. Today I'm here with Mark Abraham. Mark is a product leader at ASOS. He is involved with Mind the Product as part of their original team, kicking off product tanks in the pubs of, I think, London. And third, he's also an author. So with that, I'll turn it over to you, Mark, to give us a little bit of an overview of your background.
1: Excellent. Thanks a lot for having me, Eric. Very excited to be on the show. Yeah, so let's touch on those three things as briefly as I can uh, that you mentioned just now. So you're right. I've been at ASOS for over a year now, initially joined the company as a product practice lead. And I don't know if that's that's a common role in most companies. But ASOS, there was definitely a need for an experienced product person to come in and to really help establish some common foundations for a group of 30-plus product owners on how to do product, how to engage with customers, how to look at customer problems, how to work with data and use data to inform decisions. So I came in doing that. And I'm not sure if your listeners are familiar with ASOS, but it's a global online retailer of fashion for 20-somethings. And Probably towards the end of last year, I took on a new role once we established those foundations and those best practices that I mentioned as a head of product and a team of heads of product and we're reporting into the uh, chief product officer. And I look after engagement side of things, which really means engaging with customers throughout the customer journey from the moment a customer has been acquired and how do we engage with them to really make sure... We give them the right kind of marketing uh, messages and serve them the right products, for instance, to how do we engage with the customer that hasn't come back to us after they shopped a few times with us or actually is waiting for a refund on order or a product that they've just returned. So that's my, my day job, so to speak. We can talk about that a bit more later. As you said, I'm, I'm part of my product I have to correct you slightly because I'm not part of the original team, nor am I a founder of Mind the Products, but I can tell you, I started going to the product tanks, which is how the whole Mind the Products community started, really, which, as you said, was just a few of us back in 2010. I wasn't even a product manager at that stage. I was still a project manager, just gathering in a pub in London, just talking about what the hell were we doing as product managers and what that even meant. But since then, we've been on quite a journey in the last 10 years. It's really grown to a community buying for product people with product and meetups, which are free meetups in over 200 cities globally. And on top of that, we organize conferences in, in places like London, San Francisco, and now virtually, as you can imagine, which I'm also involved with, finding really interesting speakers on relevant topics to our community of product people, and that includes product managers, but also product designers, people who want to get into products, startup founders, marketeers, you name it. And last but not least, as you mentioned, I wrote a book two years ago, which is called My Product Management Toolkit, very much geared towards people who are new to product management or want to get into product or work with product people and just providing some tools and techniques and also bit of the mindset of what it means to be a product person. I'm sure we'll talk about that a bit more later on in our conversation.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Sorry, and I I didn't mean to imply you're uh, one of the (laughs) founders of Mind the Product, just that you were there in the beginning when it was guys, girls, people getting together at a pub and talking about product management.
1: So. A hundred percent. No, I was there in the beginning. I just didn't want to get myself or you in trouble for that matter.
0: <laughs> we don't want, we definitely don't want that. <laughs> but James is a good guy. He's, he's not
1: going to be too hard on us. No, absolutely. I love I love James. <laughs> so
0: you started down this whole path though. as your background kind of interesting. You know, you were an M&A lawyer, right, first, and then you got into products. So tell us that story.
1: Yeah, I, I'm surprised you're not asking me, Mark, tell me where it went wrong for you. I started as a as a corporate lawyer back in Amsterdam in the Netherlands which is where I'm from. I did that for about 4 years and I was always a bit frustrated or left unfulfilled because I got involved in these transactions where companies would merge or acquire one another and I always felt I was a bit late to the party because you know these companies and their management teams had already done the deal effectively. My colleagues and I would always come in at a later stage of that deal just to do the final due diligence or write up all the documents so we could do the shared transactions and what have you. And I wanted to know more about all the stuff that happened prior to us coming in as lawyers. And that prompted me to do an MBA. And that brought me to the UK uh, back in 2005, where I did uh, an MBA for a year, and that opened up a whole new world for me because everything that I learned on that one year course was completely new to me, from marketing to HR to learning about supply chain to learning about software development. Everything was brand new to me. And I realized halfway through my MBA that if I wanted to use any of the kind of new skills and 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 knowledge that I picked up from that doing that course, I couldn't go back into law. I would need to do something else where I could actually apply some of the some of my learnings so that's where the journey really started, because you know, it's one thing to realise that you can't go back into law, but then the question is what do you do next? So my first role in London was with a big accounting firm here in London, working in their marketing and business development team, where without really knowing it, I had my first experience of working on a big software development project, really rolling out a firm wide CRM system doing everything from speccing it to working on the reporting to training people up on the new system and iterating based on the feedback that we got from the different offices within the UK. And that gave me a taste for more in the sense that I wanted to work on more digital projects and products. But it's hard if you're still in professional services to break out of that. So I spent a lot of time having coffees with people, but also doing a lot of pro bono work with startups and established companies where you know i treat it as a bit of a win-win situation you know i'd like to think that i helped some startups with things like how do you write a business case how do you write a marketing plan how do you think about your product roadmap and and give that expertise and work and, and support without without them having to pay for that service yeah and, and, and equally in it and yeah, i was go gonna on. say
0: it's, it's it's interesting too right because uh everyone always wants to talk about how they can become a product manager if they don't have the right background but you kind of jumped in and were like helping people out solving problems they had and use that as to continue your transition into
1: digital product right 100% and that it really helped me cuz as you say it's 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 almost like you're learning by doing right it's not like i had all the answers but the good thing is product management it's not like a blueprint and and the, the problems that you're faced with they vary per company anyway but you know i had a because of my mba and my some of the other things i'd done previously there was a few things that i could offer and you know people are always looking for help especially if it's free and it's and it's useful and it helped me to really get an understanding of what does it mean to work on a digital product and working in a startup building up my network in that space as well and that eventually got me my first role as as a project manager, but I got into digital, I worked mostly agency side for a couple of years, doing you know, website builds to social apps, working for a wide variety of clients. And again, I got a bit, I can't help myself, but I, I got a bit frustrated and left slightly unfulfilled because obviously as a, as a project manager, your focus is very much on delivering on a pre-agreed brief between clients and the agency in, in my case. And you know, if you can do that within time, budget, and scope, you're a great project manager. And I thought there must be more to this whole software development piece, and that's where I first heard about product management. And product management—this is—we're talking 2009, 2010, when I first started going to Product Tank. Completely new. But I thought, this is interesting because I, I got the sense that it was much broader than just delivering a project. And I've been in product for nearly 10 years now. Makes me, saying that makes me feel like a, like a bit of a veteran, but on a day-to-day basis, trust me, I don't feel like that at all. And I'm loving it. Really, it's, uh, you know, after all those transitions that I told you about and an interesting journey, I think this is really the, the place where I want to be and I get a lot of energy from because it's so, so dynamic.
0: Sounds awesome. Well, glad you made it to the, the product side of the house from the, the legal profession. Glad to have you here. <laughs> so, now, you're doing product at ASOS, really well-known retail industry company, e-commerce company, right? Especially, I mean, especially well-known, I would imagine, in, in Europe, you know, where you guys are, are based. What's something fun about doing and being a product leader in retail? What's something difficult? How's it a little bit different than other places
1: you've done product? One thing that I, you know, I find fun and, and that I hadn't had before is it's just the content side of things, you know, just really seeing the whole end-to-end process from models, fashion models coming into to the office and we have dedicated studios with dedicated photographers because we like to shoot our own imagery and just seeing that whole end-to-end process, right, from these people being in the building and shooting physical clothing items or apparel items and then few days later, let's say, seeing that on the site, you know, that kind of end-to-end insight into that whole process. That was that was the first to me, and I find that very exciting. I think, and this is not unique to ASOS, but definitely one of the things that I find really interesting and, and exciting is working at scale. You know, we've got millions and millions of customers, we operate in lots of different countries, and that is exciting and challenging at the same time. Because there's so much to think about, especially because ASUS is a really well-established brand, as you mentioned, with lots of loyal customers who all have their own expectations. So you really want to get the experience right, not just for one customer segment, but for many customer segments, not just for one country, but for all the countries that we operate in. That makes it very exciting because I like operating at, at, at a scale like that, but you know, challenging as well in terms of trade-offs that you sometimes have to make.
0: Cool. So, you know, one of the ideas I I like that that you've written about, you've talked about, is this idea of the product mindset. And, And you expressed that the product mindset it's composed of four things, right? Four Cs: customer, curiosity, clarity, and creativity. Can you talk about that? And can you expand on each of those Cs?
1: Absolutely. So, I typically, when I talk about this product mindset, I always start with the customer. For for me. Uh, and I don't know how you feel about this, Eric, but being a, a product person, whether you're a product designer or a product manager, starts and ends with the customer. That can be a consumer, it can be an internal user. So really having that kind of customer focus and, you know, without wanting to sound like a cynic, but it's so interesting sometimes when you interview candidates or you talk to companies and say, yeah, of course we talk to customers and we engage with customers and we care about the customers. And when I then ask. To break that down for me a little bit, just so I understand, does that mean that you speak to them, you know, once a day, once a week, send out a survey, you'll be amazed. Or I'm often amazed that, you know, the customer engagement is not as strong as I Personally, expected to be particularly yeah, if you're I, working as a <laughs> as I a product am manager.
0: Amazed, I run into the same scenario where I used to ask people like, "How you talk to customers a lot?" and they would inevitably say, "Yes." And then I realized that you need to dig down and what that means to them. And I'm like, well, oh, by a lot, what do you mean?" And they're like, "Well, you know, once a month at least." And I'm like, "Whoa, your definition of a lot of
1: mine are very different." <laughs> So let's start with that. Yeah, absolutely. And the reason, you know, and and I appreciate why that happens when people say it's once a month and, you know, because it's very easy as a a product person to really get dragged down into the day-to-day and really focus on value that you know, that you're confident about, that you've committed to, that you want to deliver, right? But I, I still think that as a product person, you really have to have your finger on the pulse of the customer and really be able to empathize with the customer, understand where the customer is now, where their needs might be moving to, what the competition is doing. And it, you know—you don't have to be obsessed about the competition, although I think it's useful to really keep an eye on that, but you definitely need to be obsessed about the customer and their problems to solve. So that's the first C. Second one is about curiosity, and you could argue that's very closely linked to the customer focus. But curiosity for me is it, it starts and ends, I would say almost with one simple three letter words, which is why it's, you know, I expect a good product person to ask why, whether it's five times, 10 times, whether it's variations of why, but good product people want to know, want to really dig into a problem, want to understand what the underlying assumptions are or what success looks like and why. So I always, when I, Look to hire product people. Again, it's one of the hygiene factors that I look for in interviews is how curious are people? Are they interested in the customer? Are they interested in data? Do you ask questions of the data? So that's the second C, which is curiosity. Then creativity. And I always want to clarify when I talk about creativity because I'm not saying that I expect you to be Van Gogh or an artist, but it is the ability to really be able to come up with unusual solutions to existing problems or come up with new problems or new ideas and be able to play with a variety of, of solutions or a variety of ideas. That's what I mean when I talk about creativity and being able to to engage in a creative process with, with other people as well. And then finally it's the, the final C is around clarity, which for me comprises of two sub-Cs, if you like, communication and collaboration. Again, hygiene, but it's so important as a product person when we're right in the middle of dealing on a day-to-day basis with customers, with internal stakeholders, with team members, with people outside of our companies, people that we don't necessarily have any formal authority over, but that we really want to you know, align and take with us on a, on a product and a customer journey. And I believe that in order to do that successfully, it's really important that you can provide that clarity, that you can communicate well up and down, and that you can collaborate across lots of disciplines. Again, seniority, less senior, doesn't matter, but you need to be able to collaborate across the board.
0: Now, we have this product mindset, right? But it's not just important for the product team and the product managers. It's something that's important for the company as a whole, right? Yeah. So how do how do you evangelize and get this mindset you know, ingrained in the the other people at the company.
1: Yeah. And uh, I I do that by, you know, on a practical level, sometimes I do training sessions or I talk about, I do these presentations about what that product mindset is. And the reason why I do that is just to demystify product management. Because sometimes, you know, I ask people when I just joined a company, say, what do you think a product manager does? And they start talking about lots of, tools and techniques and roadmaps and user stories and I said yeah those that's great and that's you know those are some of the things that we focus on on a day-to-day basis but at the end of the day those are artifacts. A lot of what these artifacts are pin by is around asking questions which anyone can do is about being clear about what we're trying to achieve, setting goals, engaging with customers. So That's more of a practical, formal way of having those kind of conversations, if you like. But I also encourage product managers, irrespective of the level of seniority or experience, to just lead by example. So I will try to really give them the confidence to ask questions in meetings, even if they're dealing with someone who is very senior, doesn't necessarily believe in product management or hasn't worked with product managers before. Giving them the confidence to ask questions or to suggest that we should test something with the customer first And by just those simple things and i've seen it in lots of places by just doing that without talking too much about it or making a whole spiel on the show around it people start picking up the language that you use the reason why you ask certain questions or you do certain activities and that for me is exactly the the product mindset that as you say eric i, I expect everyone in a company to have ultimately
0: Awesome. That's great. So I wanted to jump back into something, you know, we talked about early on in your background. That was, you know, mind the product and, and your involvement as as part of the team there. We're going through this whole pandemic, COVID, and COVID affects the way we as product managers have to look at our, our roadmap in some ways, especially, you know, especially dependent on the industry you're in. Can you talk about how, you know, like this ongoing pandemic has affected you as a product leader, both maybe at, at ASOS, but also it's affected you and in your involvement in mind the product, which I'm sure has had, you know, it's had a much bigger impact on their business, given that they were very conference focused, very, you know, person meetup focused and, and how that have, might have changed how they look at their business in the role of educating the product leaders of the future.
1: Yeah, I think you know it's, a, it's an interesting question because I think the business model and the, and the spirit of, of Mind the Product, in my mind, hasn't changed fundamentally because we're still by and for product managers. Our focus is really on the community aspect of bringing product people together, giving them a platform to learn from each other and to learn from other strong product people. So that, at its very core, hasn't changed. I think what has changed, if you like, is... At least temporarily, we'll see <laughs> we'll see uh, how things evolve. It's obviously that we're now a lot more virtual because you know at the moment, unfortunately, we can't do conferences for for two thousand people or what have you. That's just physically impossible, as you know. So the the outlets, if you like, for all the things that we're already doing, we're now doing virtually, and that's not you know that's something that we've been contemplating anyway. You could say this has accelerated it in a sense that. When I speak to my peers in the community in ASOS, their needs haven't necessarily changed. What I would say is, when you speak to people, that obviously, whereas product management can be a lonely job in the in the first place, whether there's a pandemic or not, it can be a lonely job, right? Because you're sometimes people are just the, the, the single product person in in a business or in a startup. They don't necessarily have anyone to turn to for advice or for some guidance. And you can imagine if if you're already feeling that that's going to be exacerbated by the current situation where on top of everything else, you have to be working from home and you don't have the kind of engagement with your colleagues or peers outside the business that you might have had before. So I think, you know, Mind the Product plays a absolutely critical role in, in facilitating that. And I've seen it in the last few months and we've had amazing feedback on how we've continued facilitating those, you know, conversations between product people that ongoing learning from each other. So that hasn't changed. It's just, as I said, it's that we've added a few extra channels to our our offering, if you like.
0: And how about with retail, right? With ASOS, I imagine it's got to be boom times for e-commerce.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's obviously, you know, Aces has been in a fortunate position anyway, that it's, it's been growing, it's been doing really well over the last few years, but absolutely, it's an online first business, as you say, very strong e commerce and very well known e commerce player. And people obviously will continue to buy. I think I can imagine, and I've seen some of the stats and seen some of the initial customer research, even though it's early days, I can imagine that lots of people. Who might have preferred to shop in store obviously have had to turn to companies like an ASOS and hopefully they remain customers and they've seen what kind of experience they can get when they shop for clothes online, yeah, which is as yeah. good, if not better physically. So definitely, but I think, you know, it's be so interesting to see not just for ASOS, but for any company, how things will evolve as a result of, of this, this crisis and, and aftershocks after that.
0: Yeah. I feel like it's accelerated, you know, the move to digital and it accelerated the the purchase via, you know, digital mechanisms. Right. And so I think we're starting to see more people that would prefer or would have preferred in the past or for whatever reason, mostly shopped in a store now doing more hmm. and more, you know, via their computer or via their phone. And do you see that just You know, continuing are these people that used to shop at at the stores now who have been shopping mostly via e-commerce maybe recently going to just stick with that? Is that is that an acceleration of a trend that's already been taking place? Is it is it a big jump up? What do you think?
1: I, I think it's an acceleration. It's you know we've seen that trend, and I think you know we've ASOS has been an online first business anyway. I think, and we had a really big customer base. I think not just ASOS, but I think there's lots of companies that will have found that. As you say, customers that wouldn't have come to them prior to this crisis because they, for whatever reason, prefer to do it in store. They might have thought that the personal touch would have been better in store. They probably have come to realize out of sheer necessity and due to the circumstances that actually, like I said, the online experience is as good, if not better, for some of the things that, that we're doing in person previously. So I definitely think that will continue. And I think it will be great kind of stimulus for all companies that have got an online presence or those that haven't to really focus on their online customer experience and make it even better than it was before.
0: Yeah, I would expect to see customers that maybe don't have a great online presence investing in it a lot and those that do just doubling down and making that experience phenomenal so that these these customers keep coming to them you know, online as opposed to going back to stores. So it's going to be interesting. One of the things you um, mentioned, yeah. you know, when you are talking about mind the product and how that community was built for product people, you know, you talked a little bit about the lonely product manager and, and some of that is like frustrations, right? You know, all of us as product leaders at some point, you know, are frustrated. For a variety of different reasons, but part of the role is like managing those frustrations, and that's that's something you've written about a lot. So, talk to me about managing frustrations as a product manager.
1: Yeah, so (laughs) I think managing those frustrations, I think starts in in my mind with managing yourself, and you know, I've been on quite a journey myself in that respect, where I didn't always find that easy, and I'll be honest with you, there's days when I still don't find that particularly easy because that. Being a product person is just prone to frustrations, whether it's dealing with lots of stakeholders who all have different agendas and you struggle to get alignment, and like I said, or you work with people who aren't necessarily on the same wavelength as you are or don't have the same vision or the same goals and you don't necessarily have the formal authority to bring them on the same page. There's lots of frustrations, there's lots of uncertainty in in being a product person. And and we, I feel as product people are typically the most exposed in certain situations to that uncertainty than, than other people who are just doing their very specific job. But because we're covering all aspects of the business with the people that we deal with, with the aspects of the product that we are flying in in the face of uncertainty at times. And like I said, being able to manage that, you have to start with managing yourself. So one of the simple things I learned just to give you a simple example, that whenever I had uh, would have a meeting about product progress or we, we needed to make an important decision about a product feature, and I would get very frustrated because, you know, you would have a stakeholder with the best of intentions was effectively torpedoing all the good work that the team and I had been doing over the last couple of weeks. And I would feel a physical sense of frustration. And I would, you know, being from the Netherlands, being quite direct, I would let that out, which, you know, it's not a recipe for success. I can tell you, Eric, if you want to maintain relationships, right, with people within the business. So I learned, for instance, (laughs) exactly. I didn't get extra points for those kind of reactions. So I learned to really take a step back and to pause and to really understand where's the other person coming from. And just simple things like counting to 10. I know it sounds super simple and obvious, but it really helps when you're faced with those frustrations or that misunderstanding or that uncertainty, as I mentioned, to really take a step back and say, where's that other difficult uh, quotation marks coming from? What are they trying to achieve? And really listening for a few minutes and then responding. And then just doing something simple like that already helps you to, I found at least, to approach the situation very differently and a lot more constructively. And I think once you can do that for yourself, being able to understand those frustrations better, understand the triggers, your own triggers a bit better and how to mitigate those, you can then do that with other product managers that maybe report into you or that you work with as well if you recognize that they have the same challenges.
0: Now, what's what's the most frustrating thing you've dealt with as a PM?
1: Whew. Well, can, can I give you one that doesn't necessarily go away? I think <laughs> sure. one of the key, chal- <laughs> key challenges is just sometimes working through the noise, You know, especially if you work on products or initiatives that have a lot riding on them. People have lots of expectations or all have a stake in a particular product or service or even customer segment doing really well and, being served really well, but they all have different opinions. They come from different angles and you might be dealing with the CFO or a financial person or a marketing person or someone who's representing the supply chain side of things. But as a product person, you're right in the middle of that, right? And you have to bring them all on board and and take them on the same journey if you want to do well by the customer and get results for the business. And that can create an awful lot of of noise that you just simply have to accept as a product person and to really work through and say, well, right, okay, what is important in this noise and that we have to build on and what can we discard just in order to keep going and moving forward? That's always a, a tough one. Constant trade offs is another key one, especially if we talk about doing well by the customer. What does that mean? What does that mean in terms of the value that you deliver? How do you balance that, for instance, with speed to market to give you an example of a trade-off? So, again, I'd, I'd like to think that I no longer see those things as as frustrating, definitely good and healthy challenges to have, but definitely can make the role of being a product person quite difficult at times, absolutely.
0: Yeah, and part of that is communication too. Like, uh, you know, communications are one of those soft skills I think it's very important for PMs to excel at. And, you know, it's not always just communicating internally with their own team, but it's communicating with customers, it's communicating with other departments, it's often you know, being a bearer of bad news uh, in some ways. So talk to me about how PMs can be better at communicating both with their teams, with other departments, and even externally.
1: Yeah, I think coming back to what I said earlier, for me, I always thought communication is really about how well you can talk, how concise are you, how well can you speak, how eloquent are you. And I learned very quickly that that's not at all what communication is about, really. Yes, it's important, don't get me wrong, but for me, it starts with and ends with listening. And really, like I said, that kind of empathy with whether it's a a teammate, whether it's a customer, whether it's a senior stakeholder, whoever it is really trying to listen. And as much as we all have that kind of natural tendency to respond or to represent what we're trying to achieve or what we stand for, just and I'm not saying that I get it right all the time, trust me, but just that moment where you just listen and really not just letting the other person speak and then you jump in, no, but really understanding what is this person coming from, what might they be feeling, where are they coming from, what are they trying to achieve? Why are they saying what they're saying? Because what that helps you to do when you talk about communication is if you have that empathy, if you have that understanding, you can tailor a message. You can really focus on the key points that you believe and that you've heard are important to the other person that you're communicating with. You can even think about how to build a trusted relationship with that person, how you best communicate with a person as part of that relationship. But again, I think you can really do that well if you've really spent time listening and understand the other person or persons.
0: Yeah, now we're in this remote world too, right? Sometimes it's the way companies are <laughs> built, and sometimes it's uh, something that's been pushed on us. So, you know, part of your advice for remote product teams is probably around communication. But what other advice would you give to remote product teams to do their job better?
1: Yeah, I think, well, in a way, a bit like the question, You asked me about Mind the Product earlier and what has changed there. I think it should, if anything, we should double down on the kinds of things that we were doing as good product people anyway. So whether it's communication, whether it's curiosity, we just have to work a bit harder and maybe do a bit more of it. And how we do that? So I'll give you a few examples. Keep talking to your customers. Please don't think like, oh, you know, we're all remote. I can come bring customers into the office or I can show them prototypes, you know, bless the obstacle, but there's so many great tools out there that you can use these days to show prototypes, to have, you know, remote conversations like you and I are having. Again, you might have to work a bit harder to, to make that happen and worry a bit more about some of the logistics, but, you know, I would, in a way, it's always easier because people are at their desks, are at their computers or on their phones, and you can have conversations with customers any point of the day so again that's a simple example of something that you can continue doing but you might have to even doubling down on it you mentioned communicating i think that is something that i expect us to do anyway and really do thoughtfully and i think this crisis and how we've now started working remotely has amplified that so i think we have to become even more thoughtful for instance on doing one-to-ones regularly with people that we work with and how we do those one-to-ones. Do we just, you know, treat it as a check-in point where you Eric tell me what you've been doing and how you've been progressing against your goals, or do we treat it more as a two-way conversation where actually I spend a bit more time just listening and understanding how you're feeling and what's happening at home and what your work situation is like, right? So really thinking through that, you know, simple things like don't have five zoom calls back-to-back without any time to breathe, right? Because the the quality of your meetings and particularly the outcomes of your conversations is going (laughs) to reduce significantly and exponentially as the day continues. Equally, double down on things like brainstorming or collective kind of ID generation. Don't think, oh, this is impossible now because we're all in our homes and so we can't just get in a room and get a whiteboard again there's amazing tools out there that still enable you to do exactly the same things that you would have done in a physical environment to test ideas to to challenge each other to have fruitful conversations so yeah like i said i'm not sure if i answer the question in terms of there's a holy grail or there's something completely different that you should be doing i think it's being more thoughtful and doubling down on certain things that you were doing already
0: Yeah, and I know you've written about time management, too. I imagine, you know, you were just talking about five Zoom meetings back to back. You know, part of that is adjusting to being remote. Part of that is time management. Talk to me about, and maybe not just in the remote world, but time management is, in general, as a PM. Take me through some of your thoughts there.
1: Yeah, I think time management, you know, you could argue, and rightly so, that that's a challenge, whichever role you take on, because we're always busy. There's always lots of demands on our time, whether it's work-related or else otherwise, and there's often conflicting demands as well, but particularly as product where there's so many different aspects of role, so many different people that we need to communicate and engage with, that it can be overwhelming, again, if you don't manage your time. So one of the simple things I, I do, and I would do the same if it was in a physical environment or in a virtual environment, is keep a log for a week and just write down how much time you spend in meetings, whether it's in Zoom or any other platform at the moment. If you want to go a step further, even just write down in just very quickly what those meetings actually achieve. How much time do you spend on speaking to customers? How much time do you spend on just following up on email? How much time do you spend looking at data? How much time do you spend on a weekly basis looking at competitors or even playing with your own products right, to not lose that touch? And when I do that exercise, and I've done it with myself, but also with people that I work with, you'll be amazed how much time people spend in meetings or just following up on email. So just doing that initial audit, you know, you should see the reaction of people like, really, do I spend 75% of my time, or if not more in some cases, in meetings? And I'm not even sure why I still go to that meeting. But just until you really take a step back and reflect on that, so that's that's the starting point what I, that I find really useful before you then start looking at you know time management tools. And there's a whole variety out there. But the one thing I typically say to people, one of the basic things I find about time management is you have to really make time, you have to create time. You know, so that typically means carving out time in your diary that you dedicate to studying the data, for instance, or looking at competitors or trying different apps, right? Cuz you know, other people are not going to do that for you. So it's not going to happen unless you actively put that time in your diary and dedicate it, that time for those kinds of activities. And it doesn't have to be, you know, you can do 1 hour a week or half an hour a day, but that's I think a key thing to do if you really want to make sure you cover all those aspects of being a product manager. Uh, so those are, you know, doing that audit, starting with then understanding what do I not do at the moment because I'm spending all this time in meetings or following up on email, deliberately carving out time for those activities that otherwise won't happen.
0: Awesome. So one thing I want to ask you about is hiring, right? Talk to me about how yes. you hire for product managers.
1: Yeah. it's uh, So a couple of things. I think particularly when I look at a team level, I'm always very keen on what they call cognitive diversity. So, you know, a a very rich diversity of backgrounds, of areas of expertise, products that they've worked on, because you want people to really complement each other. So on a team level, that's one of the key things I always try to, to keep in mind. I don't, you know, some people, rightly or wrongly, I don't know, typically go for someone who's, you know, might've done something very similar before in another company, worked on the same product. That I try not to get too attached to. I'm much more interested in in some kind of key soft skills almost to begin with. So just building on the four C's of that customer mindset, which I elaborated on earlier, I will also look and really get a sense of, is this someone who is willing to try things and learn and fail and try again? Because those are the kind of product managers that I typically look at for people who are not necessarily waiting for permission, but will ask for forgiveness afterwards and are happy to try things, happy to experiment, happy to acknowledge their own assumptions or assumptions of other people that they're dealing with and, and putting their money where their mouth is to, to test that. So I look at at the very basic level, before I even think about hard skills and what products you've worked on and how long and all that kind of good stuff, I really want to understand how good are you, how do you rate in those, when it comes to those four Cs and to your mindset in terms of experimenting and trying things. What I also really do is sometimes what I find helpful when I hire for my own roles or people ask me to have a think about their teams and, and what that could look like. It's almost have like a scorecard. And again, this is not like a 15-page document with all kinds of, you know, looking for the perfect unicorn. But just even if you think about it from a, the mission of the job the outcomes of the jobs and the competencies of the job. What are they specific to that role or to that team or department? And then it gives you something. It focuses the mind because it might mean that you are really thinking, yeah, wouldn't that be nice to have? But that doesn't make the scorecard because you're really focusing on core competencies, core outcomes that you want this person, this role to achieve, part of a bigger mission. And then when you have the – it helps you with writing the job spec but also rating people when they do – interviews because you're being very specific about do we think that this person will help us achieve mission for the team or for the product we'll be able to achieve specific results and does he or she have the necessary competencies to, to achieve those to achieve the mission and the outcomes
0: so as, as we're getting to the end of this interview i wanted to talk to you about uh, trends in the product community
1: tell me what you see coming up that's really interesting yeah, I, I think what I, I find, and I don't know what your view on that is, that we're moving away a little bit, I think, from just the kind of, call it the hard skills of being a product manager. So, you know, can you create a roadmap or can you think of a product strategy? You know, that's still important and we're still paying a lot of good amount of focus on that. But I feel like it's it's almost like, you know, we're, we're growing up in that respect. We know a lot of product people I meet are are fairly comfortable with putting together a roadmap or thinking about product strategy or speaking to customers. What I've seen more of is that we're focusing much more on the people side of being a product person and realizing that those hard skills, where I gave some examples, are just as important as soft skills. Going back to what we talked about earlier, how can you influence without authority? How can you work with stakeholders? How can you tell a good story and get people on board with that story and keep them posted? How do you build trusted relationships, particularly in a time like now with COVID? How do you work effectively with people and, and get the most out of them and get the most out of yourself? What does that look like? So I think whilst those kind of tools and techniques and hard skills will always be absolutely critical to what we do as product people, I think people are starting to realize more and more that the The mindset and and the soft skills, if you want to call them soft, because I sometimes find the hardest to do anyway, are just as important, if not more important than some of the tools and techniques.
0: Yeah, I would agree with you. There are certain things that are just easier to teach, right? And it's often easier to teach a technique than it is to teach someone empathy, for instance, or curiosity.
1: Totally agree. But I think uh, you're absolutely right. But equally, I think if you focus on that, and if you've got the right people giving you some guidance or creating a safe environment where you can try some of those kind of soft skills, that you can come a long way. But absolutely, it's easier to say this is a framework for this, or this is a template for that than say, from now on, I would like you to be more interested in the customer.
0: Yeah, and You might yeah, be like, absolutely.
1: Mark, what does, that, what does that look like? So yeah.
0: It's, I think, easier to teach, like you said, the, the frameworks than uh, some of the other things. So, you know, as, as we're getting to our last two questions, I'll, I'll turn the, the topic to more of
1: you. What's your favorite product? I've got a, a number, uh, but there's one that I really like outside of Asus, of course, which is Dice, which is a UK-based app. It's a concert app. I love going to gigs. It's one of the things I'm really missing at the moment, I have to be honest with you, Eric. And what I like about it, that it's it's a very well-designed, easy-to-use app that combines both the kind of discovery element of me having my favorite artist tracked, and I'll get an alert about when they do a show nearby, to having all my tickets in one place, which is always a nightmare. Otherwise, if they get lost in your inbox, because it's all part of the app. And it's just very simple. It's very stripped down. It's very elegant, well-designed easy to use. And it's one of the apps that I've been using consistently for a good number of years now.
0: Awesome. So final question for you, Mark, three words to
1: describe yourself. Um, three words. Well, learning, direct and reflective. And tell me if you want to expand on any of those three.
0: Well, if, if there's one you want to expound on, you know, do it or two or, you know, go, go crazy.
1: Yeah, I think learning is is the key one. I think one of the things that I've, again, learned the hard way that as product people, particularly, we have to have a certain, you know, good level of humility. And don't get me wrong, that doesn't mean that you just have to go with everything and that you're a bit of a doormat. But I do think you have to have a really open mindset, especially when you're dealing with people who work across a variety of areas, have built up a lot of experience and expertise in those specific areas that you really benefit from just learning and listening and trying and trying and failing or trying, learning and trying again. And I think that's that's critical, not just for product managers, but I would say for, for life in general.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you for being here. This has been great. Thank you for having me, Eric. Really enjoyed
1: it.